0: Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. The topic of today is a holiday survival kit. And uh, uh, knowing me, you know I probably don't mean um, rations for if your car breaks down, although that would be a good thing to have also. If any of you are even going in a car, who knows? We're all just like hanging loose in the pandemic, right? Sorry that dates this recording, but long, long ago when I first started working as a coach, um, I realized that holidays are not vacation days for coaches, therapists, uh, police officers, healthcare workers, because crazy things happen at the holidays and people need support and they need help. So I started thinking, I need my, my survival kit for my coaching clients. And I first wrote about these in an article for the Oprah Magazine. Oh, the Oprah Magazine, I don't know, like a long time ago, like 25 years ago. And just to toot my own kazoo, people liked it so much that the Today Show, was it the Today Show? Good Morning America, that was it. They flew me to New York and put me on camera and had me describe these to America back when the internet was barely even a thing and everybody watched TV. So that's that will be before the living lifetime of almost everybody <laughs> listening to this. Anyway, I declare that these tools stand the test of time and they've been an annual tradition for me every ever since. I just do some sort of production, post, uh, broadcast or whatever to remind people to use your psychological survival toolkits. Last week, I talked about how the holidays are made of stories and our minds are made of stories and how shifting the stories shifts everything and can make your whole holiday better and better. A few people asked, well, how do you get your family to go along? Hmm, hmm. Well asked, say I, because not being able to get your family to sort of see eye to eye with you is, from time immemorial, the difficult thing about the holidays. That's why in A Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens did not write about Um, the, who was the Ebenezer's, uh, nephew, who was the the guy who had Tiny Tim's dad? Um, Bob something. Anyway, Bob Cratchit. The reason that Scrooge was able to contribute so beautifully to that family was that it was a a mom, and dad, and a bunch of kids. If you're a mom, and dad, a mom, a mom, a dad, a dad, any combination of more like seven dads, whatever it is, and you've just got a bunch of kids, you're golden. Because the kids are like, we're just crazed with sugar and materialism. We love it. And no, I know you probably don't do that. But it's so fun to give kids presents and and treats and stuff. So that's all very well. It's when everybody grows up. And the grown-ups start gathering. It's the perfect time for hidden tensions to surface. And I remember, oh yeah, I remember so many Christmases of tension. <laughs> well, always with the grown-ups. And probably the kids were soaking it up too. But I have discovered that these holiday t- survival tools make it possible to be even with a very difficult family and still feel good the whole time. So all of it is about what I've said a zillion times, and as I'm trying to rejigger my brain, I've talked about it even more, um, fixing my amygdala so it doesn't go into fight or flight unless there's actually something dangerous or terrifying in the room. And um, fight is the instinct that might come up for you if you're with a lot of grownups that may or may not share your views, all of you following Christmas traditions that have been set by somebody who probably uh, did not share any of your values or perspectives. So this is for you you people who have grown up issues. And it's a way to get your focus in your brain away from that Need your fight or flight response and into the compassionate witness, which is what I keep saying over and over and over. If you go into the compassionate witness, you're going to have a better time of it. Your brain will calm down. Your life will get happy. And all of these survival tools do that for us under high pressure situations. Okay, but they all require some setup. All right, so you got to get some friends. You can get friends from the gathering room. You could get friends online, friends that you call every day. Doesn't matter as long as you kind of do see eye to eye. We have a circle of like five people Um, on my on our texts our family texts and there are five of the most hilarious people I know and we're constantly texting each other silly things that is the kind of friendship circle you need to make these tools work so if you don't have that circle go out and find one by Christmas time because it's going to serve you in good stead the big deal of it is You're not thinking about the family arrangement and you're not thinking about the things that always go wrong and that just grate on your nerves. You're thinking about your circle of friends and you will have set it up in one of three ways. One way is just called the text from hell. And that is that you get together with some of your besties before the holiday. They don't even have to be, you don't have to know them that well as long as you're all playing the same game. And the idea is that as things disintegrate in your holiday, you will text each other pictures and taglines of things that are going down all around you. So it's like, oh my God, here it comes again. The, you know, my sister and my brother are about to take up arms against each other and stab each other with the Christmas fork or beat each other with the Christmas goose or whatever. Whatever always happens and just be like, And you're like secretly sending a picture. I discovered this when I was studying sociology and they would send us into various situations to do sociological research. You could be in the most horrific place, like a dog fight or something. And if you were doing observational science so that you could report back to someone else, you wouldn't fall into the nightmare of it. You would go into the witness mode and the storytelling mode. And you start to tell this story as something interesting or funny that's happening to you. And you start to size up the components of the scene to be entertaining to somebody else, or at least to be interesting to somebody else. Okay, so the texts from hell are just like, oh my God, here we go again. (laughs) And you send that off. The next one is called the free lunch. And this is where you get get together with your people before the holiday and you say to them, my nightmare situation will be the worst one that any of us faces this Christmas, right? Something worse is going to happen to me during my family celebration than will happen to any of you. And you all put in a bet, right? And then you write down what happens during Christmas and then you reconvene after the holiday And whoever has the truly most nightmarish story gets a free lunch from the others. Now you're going to have to do this on Zoom this year, but you can have the glory and grandeur and maybe have people send you a a, a little card with a free lunch on it uh, for your post-holiday lunch where the biggest victim... (laughs) You will not see yourself as a victim. That's the whole point. The one who has the worst story to tell gets the biggest present. And then finally, and this I have to say is one of the, my proudest moments as a life coach. Um, this is what I call a dysfunctional family bingo card. And you can make one or you can download a bingo cor- card online, but make sure that, that the at least some of the squares are blank. I made this myself. And you can see the bingo is filled in on the square, but everything else is something that you write into a square that happens in your family. So uh, I have written down here, property destruction of $100 or more. Um, Something burns, all right. Uh, Someone does, someone pivotal does not show up. These I just started making stuff up because Actually, I have really happy family Christmases and and New Year's and solstices and everything. I experience homicidal rage. That's in there. You can mark that off. And you put them, you know, at random in the bingo squares. And then every time that actually happens during the gathering of your family at Christmas time, you get to mark off that square. Someone loses a tooth? Check. An adult loses a tooth? Check. You can put in whatever drives you craziest about your particular family and their particular peccadilloes. And as before, you're playing this game with a bunch of people online. And when you get bingo, when one of you gets bingo, you text everyone else and say, bingo, made it happen. It's there. So this is dysfunctional family bingo. And here's what it does, you guys. And you can use it after I went on the Today Show, sorry, Good Morning America, what happened is that I started, like, I went to get my hair cut, and the hairdresser said, We saw that, and we have a hairdresser customer from hell bingo card. So they had a bingo card, and so they'd put in it something like, Make my hair longer. <laughs> Apparently, this is something that hairdressers are requested to do fairly frequently. Um, you know, people who ask for one cut and then get it and then say, actually on second thought, could you do something completely different? So there are different things that happen for hairdressers. There are different things that happens for you in your job, whatever that may be. Um, And at the holidays, everything is peaking in terms of interactivity, Uh, the conjunction of different social components that make things hard. A lot of people trying to buy things that they don't, they're trying to buy things they don't want for people they don't like using money they don't have. And it's just, it's a really huge potential trigger for almost everybody in your job, in your family, in your own private hell. (laughs) Now, what happens when you actually play these games is that the things that used to drive you crazy because they're on the bingo card or they're on your story, you're making the story out of it, or you're going to take a picture and text your friends, they actually become the things that you want. And something happens, you guys, when you really want something you used to hate, it's as if you let go of all your attachment to it and it shifts the energy around it completely. So, I mean, this is really silly, but in all seriousness, I've found it to be a really powerful way to detach from what's going to happen at the holidays. Part of what the reason it's so fraught is that we carry in ourselves expectations about the holiday based on all the social traditions and probably some wounding that happened when we were younger, maybe not young, but younger, around these special times. And we always remember what happened at the holidays, as I said last time. So use these. And actually, oh, oh, see, this is why people don't like to work with me. I was just thinking, huh, I wonder if they could like post on Instagram or something about their holiday bingo experience. I would love to hear what goes on if you try to play these games and who has the wildest story coming out of it. Could I just tell you a story? Um, somebody I know played this with hospital stays. This was online. And the woman who won the worst hospital stay story, um, she, she, I think she was in for a surgery. The doctor like removed one of her kidneys, but it was the wrong one or something. Then he tripped after the surgery and stabbed her in the leg with a scalpel. And while he was still on the ground, someone in the next booth shot someone else, and the bullet came through the curtain between them and and hit this woman in the arm. (laughs) That's not funny. That's terrible. That's the point, though. When you're looking for a good story, nothing bad ever happened to a storyteller. It's all material. And when you're in storytelling mode, you are creating your holiday, your legend, your fun time, your um, joy. You are making... A silk purse out of a sow's ear is what you're doing. You're turning something that was awful into something that was wonderful. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com purpose, and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. Okay, so I have some questions here. Thank you for sending them in. Sandra Bachman says, I'm not sure how I feel about this. It seems like programming for the worst. Well, you certainly don't have to do it. You could make a bingo card that's about wonderful things happening. I was thinking this as I filled in my card because I thought, you know, after years of open communication and really relaxed, um, relaxed attitudes toward every cultural convention, my family hangs pretty darn loose during the holidays and I could make a bingo card out of wonderful stuff. I don't really need to though, because it's, um, you know, if it's wonderful, why not just enjoy it? It might make things even richer, but that's a great, that's a great suggestion. As for being afraid that you're going to program yourself for the worst, if I were coaching you, Sandra, I would say, hmm, it feels a little bit like you're doing that kind of, um, there's kind of a very close but not exact version of um, manifesting things in the world. You know, the whole idea that if you think about something and you focus on it, it will happen. First thing is, even if you talk to people who are complete New Agers who believe in this, they will confirm that anything negative that you hold is much less powerful than something positive that you hold. So if you think, oh, I can't even think something bad about Christmas or it's going to happen, you're doing a little magical thinking around it and it shows a degree of anxiety and attachment. So you don't have to do this, but just notice that you're trying to control the situation with your thoughts. And as I wrote in my last book, I can't control anything with my thoughts, including my thoughts. Like I can't, control, I have no control. So this is a way to have fun with, I, you could put on it, I feel really out of control or I think I just manifested evil or something. But as I said, you don't have to do it. Florence says the bingo card is the wayfinder equivalent of the Rockettes. I do believe that's true. I think that uh, anybody who is ready to find their way through life on a path of joy and, um, and innovation and creative thinking, it the bingo card frees you up to have fun with the holiday, even if you expect the worst, even if it's a bad year and bad things have happened. Like, I don't know, the plague. So thank you for saying that Florence. I feel that way about it. Heather says, I'm so doing this. Emily says, any insights on embracing living alone when the longing to belong and be anchored in the fam- family tends to cause immense grief? Yeah, you could make a bingo card to share with other people who are alone at the holidays. Like the, these games, because that's what they are, they're game, gaming the holiday. They work best when you're playing with people who are in similar circumstances, and Lord knows there are a lot of people who are alone this holiday, who were alone last holiday. I mean, it's grueling. So I'm not trying to take away from the legitimate grief of that. Absolutely, you're gonna you're gonna have some bad times, but you could put that on the bingo card. Don't want to get out of bed, you know, sit around petting my. Um, you know my my little geranium in its pot and thinking you're my only friend but you need to share it with somebody else who's alone and in order to do these things you are actually seeking community before the official holiday begins because you're doing it with your storytelling family, your bingo playing family. So you're creating a communal group that's focused on a process that isn't what the rest of the culture is focused on. So it makes you sort of um, singular to each other. And there's this weird sense that you're sharing. Um, Ro, Ro and Mangan, Gracious Badger, was telling me the other day about how she dictates in her car things that she wants to put on social media, ideas for work, ideas for her novel. And she uses a program that takes a transcription and she can go into an appointment after narrating in the car and come back and there's already a transcript waiting in her email. And actually research has shown that if you are talking to a camera with no people around, or if you're talking to a microphone with no people around, uh, what Roe experiences happens to all of us the idea that someone is going to see it later, like filming it, recording it, writing it down, the very idea that this is going to connect with someone at some point reduces your loneliness. There's a whole set of psychological fireworks that start going when we start talking to other people. One of the things, um, that is, problematic about our education system, especially now that people are trying to do it remotely, is that learning say a math lesson from a computer is really different from learning it from a human being. When you lock eyes with a human being, your brain opens up to learning. It turns out that learning is a social activity. So it's best if you can be with people who are of like mind, But look, we haven't ever met in the flesh, most of us. And yet here we are and seeing your names and seeing your energy and seeing you guys going by on Instagram and uh, people waving, all of that makes me feel like I'm with you because we are. And even if I were recording it for you to hear later, It would light up those parts of my brain. So if you're alone, find other people who are alone, go out seeking, put out an Instagram post that goes, anybody else out there want to play isolated holiday bingo with me? Like call in a family, it works and it creates a community of like mind. Jessica says, I love that this encourages paying attention to what happens instead of disassociating. That's really true. One of the things that happens in a lot of uh, family settings that aren't ideal is that people who were children in a difficult family, all families can be difficult sometimes. One of the things that happens for a child because they can't run away is that they mentally check out. So they disassociate and any any disruption or a trigger from a a holiday past will put them back into a dissociated state. And basically you're sort of floating around, not experiencing anything very viscerally. You're just kind of like, oh, I can't wait till this is over. I remember specifically things surrounding religion. Ooh, I was so checked out during all the religious ceremonies that accompanied the holidays in in my hometown of Peru, Utah. It's a very particular type of culture. And I was checked out of it. And then I, I literally, when I went back for Christmas one, one year, um, I, at Harvard they do this horrible thing to people where finals come after Christmas and all your term papers are due right after Christmas. So there's no Christmas vacation. You're constantly writing papers. So, and studying for exams. I was in the first year of my sociology program and I went home and I wrote a paper on Mormon culture because, okay, I'm going to be doing participant observation while I'm there. And this is when I realized I wasn't checked out anymore. I was like, "Hmm." like people would do weird things or say something really outrageous. And I'd be like, go on. And that's what happens with the family bingo game. Like somebody goes into their usual, you know, say you have a racist relative. There's always a racist relative. And, um, they start to going into a very highly offensive rant. And instead of just going, you you just kind of go, yes, say more. And you're just marking your bingo card like crazy and sending it to all your friends. So yeah, it keeps you checked in in a very happy way when you're the sociologist of the group instead of its victim. So Kira says, Yesterday, my family and I went to buy our Christmas tree. We had our traditional escalated bickering on the way there and back this year. Now I can look at this as two squares, hashtag winning. Yeah, I challenge y'all to get with Kira and do a bingo and or storytelling and or text from hell competition because she's already off and running. That might be nice for those of you who enjoy a challenge. Yes, well done, Kira. Brooke says, this is a great way to take notes for your post-holiday writing content too, if you're a writer that is no kidding. Holy smokes, last night I couldn't sleep and I was listening. What finally lulled me to sleep was listening to a book by the humor columnist, Dave Barry. Oh my God, if you read his stuff, everything negative that could happen to him, like writing about how the plumbing broke down and he had to fix it and it was not working. He's hysterical. And if you read humor writers right before you go into one of these meetings, your brain is primed to see it as ridiculous. And it suddenly becomes fun, even if you're not a writer, but if you are a writer, it's like... I mean, nobody wants to hear the story of a Christmas where everything went right. Everybody wants like, there's no room at the inn. Go and sleep in the stalls with the horses, donkeys, whatever. And nobody wants to know that the lanterns, they had plenty of fuel and they they just burned through the holiday because everybody had plenty of oil for them. No, it has to be a miracle. Um, the Kwanzaa candles ugh, have to overcome centuries of horrifying adversity. That's, that's kind of what we celebrate at the darkest time of the year in the northern hemisphere. Um, oh, red crimson face, Irina says, could you say something about the tree painting behind you? This is a a painting I did of the way the forest outside my house feels to me. It's a blend of a cathedral. Um, It's a man going into this cathedral, which is made by nature. And um, it also blends in the white light experience that I had when I was 29 years old that changed everything. And um, thank you for asking. And those of you who've heard about it ad nauseum I apologize, but I'm happy. To, it's, the, it's the Christmas light for me, the new year's light. So um, Deirdre says, any ideas for what to do when you're dreading family members asking, so what are you up to when you're in a transition period and feeling super uncomfortable with that? Break it into half a dozen questions and put it all over your bingo card. And then you might want to have um, a, a canned response. And I like one from Maria Bamford, a fabulous comedian. She's also the sister of Sarah Bamford -Bamford Seidelman, who is a master coach and just put out another fabulous book. Um, Anyway, Maria Bamford's method of dealing with it when people say, so what are you doing? What are you up to? What are you working on? She just says, oh, I finished. I'm done. I finished early. (laughs) (laughs) and if you just hold it, they get really uncomfortable and just slink away. You can have your own response to it, but the important thing is that the question has to appear on your bingo card so you actually want those people to say it, right? And then you can go have fun with your friends, and you can say, I'm actually working on a project with several friends at this very moment, but I'm not at liberty to talk about it right now. Let them think you work for it you know, the CIA. Dr. Donna says, how can we connect to this, uh, connect this to not allowing ourselves to be shamed during the holidays or ever? When the worst may happen, like we are fully embarrassed, bingo, but how do we navigate the shame? Bewildered strategies apply. She's talking about our podcast. Roe and I do a podcast called Bewildered and we just put out an episode called Unshameable about how to avoid being controlled by culture's most devious and horrifying weapon, shame. And Dr. Donna, here's the deal. You put the shame on the bingo card. I feel ashamed. That comes into the bingo card. My mother shames me. My father shames me. My grandparents shame me. It's all on the bingo card. You could do a whole shame bingo card and then you get to win. I wouldn't suggest it because it's like wallowing in shame. But laughing at the very fact that you feel ashamed is the one of the best ways out of shame. being the, the antidote for shame is openness. And so if you can be genuinely amused by your own reaction to shame, or if you can tell a genuinely funny story about the way your family behaved toward you or whoever behaved toward you, shame doesn't have a chance against humor. They used to tell me when I was growing up that the one thing the devil can't stand is to be laughed at. I don't believe in the devil, but I think if there were one, that would be true. And all I have to say about that is, ha ha, you're on the bingo card. Um, Dr. Donna says she loves the latest Bewildered podcast, so thank you. She says it was trans, uh, transformational. That's what we want to do. It's called Bewildered, but it's really bewildered. So you move back from culture and let it, don't let it get its little teeth into you as, as far, and you become more your wild self. And that's what this picture is. It's of the wildness we find in our hearts and our souls when we go out beyond culture and through our own true nature. And our true nature really is that light that shines from the center of all things. It shines from everywhere and it shines from us. I was reading a book um, the other day by a Buddhist priest named, oh, please, Lewis. I can't remember his last name. I'll have to put it in the notes. Anyway, he went into, he had a, a seizure and he went into a coma. And while he was in the coma, I'm going to leave you with this little story. It's not really a holiday story, but it does actually speak to where you go when you can use these jokes and, and gimmicks and tools to get past shame and into your true nature. Actually talking about it and opening up takes you to that light. And while he was in his coma, he he had a vision. He wasn't really thinking, but he had a vision that he was surrounded by these South American shamans and they were trying to turn him into a bird. But in order to do that, he had to let go of everything he was attached to. And so he, in his vision, he deliberately stopped breathing. And at that point in the vision, he dissolved into light and later he told someone what happens if someone asked him what happens when we die and he said we dissolve into light and she went away and that was fine with her but he's he later said that wasn't really true because what we are is light and it doesn't dissolve it's like water dissolving into water we we reemerge into what we have always already been and that's what happens when we get past all the little surface problems of the holiday we get into the depth of our truth and we find the sacredness that is at the heart of all celebration. And by playing these goofy little games, you can start to have really, really beautiful holidays. So thank you so much for showing up and I will see you again on The Gathering Room.